Ramble. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Bada bing, bada boo. June 30th, 2019, in Seoul, South Korea. Seven friends are packing up their cars. They've got towels, coolers, and a change of clothes. They're going to drive two hours to this very quiet area called Kapyong River Valley. It's got these beautiful waterfalls, these giant bodies of water that you can jump into. It's popular amongst locals for literally cliff jumping. That's their plan today. They're going to do that all day long. And from the get-go, from the moment that they arrive there, there's already tension in the group. I'm going to give you a breakdown of the dynamic of the seven friends because it's pertinent to this case, but it's also very fascinating. We've got three couples and we've got one seventh wheel. There's a lot of interpersonal relationships that are happening. We've got Unhe. She's like the glue of the group and she's kind of organized this entire outing. She's there with her boyfriend, Joe. But her ex-boyfriend, Leo, is also there. Leo brought his new girlfriend, Chloe. And the awkward thing is, Chloe has no idea that her boyfriend, Leo, and Unhe used to date. She just thinks they're friends. So to kind of ease this awkwardness, Unhe invited a few more people. Her friend since middle school, Yuna, and Yuna brought along her boyfriend, and then the seventh wheel of the group, Sam. It seems like everyone kind of knows each other. Sam is the odd one out, and Unhe just introduced him into the group as a, quote, an oppa of hers. Now, context, oppa translates to older brother in Korean, but it is not reserved for siblings. Like, you can call a senior at your school oppa, you can call your husband oppa, you just call any man that's older than you oppa. So just to recap, we've got Unhe and her boyfriend Joe, Unhe's ex-boyfriend Leo and his new girlfriend Chloe, Unhe's childhood friend Yuna and her boyfriend, and Unhe's oppa Sam. The seventh wheel. So the group of seven, they arrive at this waterfall and they spend the entire day just tiring themselves out. We've got videos throughout the day of them pranking each other in the water, playing games, eating watermelon. They're exhausted by the time the sun is set. And all seven of them, they start packing up their bags. It's time to make that two-hour trip back home, getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, one of them suggests, why don't we do one last cliff dive? Just one. Une's boyfriend, Joe... Her ex-boyfriend, Leo, and Une's oppa, Sam, they go up to the cliff. They climb up the giant cliff when it's pitch black outside. And one by one, they jump into the water below. Une's watching from the shore. All three of them splash into the water and only two would surface. One of them would be dead. And in today's case, we've got three main suspects. Une's boyfriend, who secretly runs a trafficking ring. Une's ex-boyfriend, who is allegedly still sleeping with Une on the side, secretly. And Une, the widow, whose husband just mysteriously died at the waterfall. All three have motive to kill Une's husband, Sam. So Sam is not just Opa. This is her husband. And she went on a trip with her husband, her boyfriend, and her ex-boyfriend. And one of them died.
We would like to thank today's sponsors who have made it possible for Rotten Mango to support NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They are the largest grassroots mental health nonprofit dedicated to building better lives for those that are affected by mental illness. NAMI provides advocacy, support, and public awareness so that those affected by mental illness can build better lives for themselves. This episode's partnerships have also made it possible to support Rotten Mango's growing team of dedicated researchers, translators from all over the world who work really, really hard at shedding light on lesser-known cases. And as always, we would like to thank you guys, our listeners, for your continued support as we work on our mission to be worthy advocates to these causes. Full show notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com. Now, this case does take place in South Korea, where many of the non-central individuals' names have been redacted from the court documents. Only their surnames have been made public. So for the purpose of making it easier to follow, we will be giving them aliases for this episode. And because there's also a lot of people involved, Yoon Sang-yup will be referred to as Sam. Cho Hyun-soo will be referred to by a surname Joe, and Lee Jun-soo will be referred to as Leo. But with international cases, if there's any additional information you would like us to know, or if something was miscommunicated, please let us know down in the comments. And with that being said, let's get started. Eunhae calls SBS, a huge news network in South Korea, and Eunhae is asking them for help. She's like, my husband just died, and now my life is falling apart. She wanted to raise public awareness, public attention to what's going on right now. She told SBS producers her husband was her everything, her absolute rock in life. He was the strong person that if anyone could depend on someone, it would be Sam. And now just like that, he's gone. He's dead. Eunhae tried to tell the public about all the incredible things she's telling the producers. You know, Sam, he just loves his family. He's a hard worker. He did everything for us. We were his life. Une spoke to the producers about how her parents are disabled. Sam would work overtime. Sometimes he would work two jobs just to help send money to her parents. Sometimes they would send every single penny that they had or they didn't even have, you know, where they wouldn't have any money for even ramen from the convenience store. This is how the couple lived. She said it was stressful, it was rough, but at least we had each other. Or at least at the time we did and that's all that mattered. She described Sam as being intelligent and just so, so compassionate that his only focus in life was his family. He didn't even buy himself new shoes. He would wear out his sneakers until they were literally falling apart at the seams. And now, he's gone. He's dead. And he always made sure that he had life insurance. It was just the one thing that he was always so paranoid about. The minute that they got married, Une said he would talk about life insurance and how they both needed it. And now with him gone, the insurance company refused to pay Une and her parents. They're about to be left on the street to fend for themselves while grieving Sam's death. The insurance company cited suspicion of insurance fraud and foul play, but Une saying it doesn't make sense. Please, like she's trying to reason with the producers. There were witnesses to the accidental drowning of my husband. Even the police have ruled it an accidental death. So what is the problem here? SBS was sympathizing with Une. They were very interested in doing an episode to expose the dark underbelly of the insurance world. How certain insurance companies, they take advantage of young people who probably can't afford an attorney, who probably don't know the laws, who probably don't know how to protect themselves as consumers. And this is a giant corporation we're talking about. They probably thought that Une can't fight back because we'll just keep the $600,000 of life insurance she's owed. And what is she going to do about it? She doesn't have the money to pay an attorney. Una said the insurance company kept asking her questions about the death, just re-traumatizing her, and then looking for random excuses on why they couldn't pay her. The SBS producers promised to help her expose the insurance company. October 17th, 2020, SBS released Una's episode on their documentary series called I Wanna Know That. 
The episode was titled, The Last Diving of the Day, Kapyong Valley Drowning Mystery. Instead of exposing the corrupt insurance industry, they exposed the events leading up to Sam's death and Una's suspicious behavior. The day of the murder, the day that seven friends went to the waterfall, they had forgotten the knife. And they're sitting there like, okay, now what do we do? We need that knife. How are we supposed to still go ahead with the day without the knife? How do we forget something as crucial as the knife? Who forgot the knife? They're looking around stressed. Well, maybe we can find something else. Like, we'll just use our own heads. What? We can play rock, paper, scissor. Rock, paper, scissors, yeah. And the loser will crack open the watermelon with the head. The seven friends, they're sitting down on a pink blanket next to the waterfall playing rock, paper, scissors, and in the middle of them is a watermelon. They forgot the knife to cut open the watermelon, so the whoever loses the game of rock, paper, scissors, they have to use their head to bang open the watermelon. That's the punishment. Unhe lost. But of course, Unhe is not going to be the one cracking the watermelon open with her head. There is a video of Joe, Unhe's secret boyfriend, holding the watermelon down on the mat while Sam... Une's husband uses his head to try and crack open the watermelon. He's doing the punishment in place of his wife because that's the kind of husband he is. He always put his wife first. Now, to give you context, it requires about 240 to 360 pounds of force to crush or crack a watermelon. Or visually, it takes on average 400 rubber bands to be wrapped around a watermelon for it to start cracking. This is a full-size watermelon we're talking about. Even with a knife, it takes me a few tries to get fully through, and I have to use both arms. I have to apply a lot of power and pressure with a knife. Imagine cracking it open with your head. Completely. Not even just creating a small crack and then using your hands to pull it apart. The punishment is you have to crack it fully in half. But wouldn't it just make a mess? Yep. It would just make a mess and could lead to damage to the head. They are making Sam crack the full thing in half using only the force of his forehead. In the video that I'm going to show you, I don't know if YouTube is going to keep it up. It's going to be on Spotify if it gets censored. In the video, Sam can be seen stopping after each crack with his head to the watermelon. He's using both hands to kind of hold his head after he slams his head down on the watermelon. He's almost in this kneeling position on the pink blanket. It doesn't feel like friends. It feels like vicious bullying. You can tell from the body language. It's just unsettling. Everyone else, they're just laughing at his pain and he doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to be doing this. He keeps holding his red forehead because it hurts so much. His glasses are on the side, just on the pink blanket. And his wife, Unhe, is almost whining like, Opa, you have to split it all the way down the middle. So the wife is encouraging this behavior? Egging it on. Mm. And her secret boyfriend is holding the watermelon still, laughing with her. Sam looks at his wife briefly before going down to slam his head back down onto the watermelon. And you can hear him grunt in pain. And you hear his wife say things like, Oh, which is almost Korean for like, why can't you even do this? Wow. That was just part of their day at the waterfall. I know here in the U.S., some schools have swimming as part of their PE program. So it's a lot more common for people to know how to swim. Or at least they've been in water enough times to know how to tread water and float. But in Korea, pools are not really a fixture of everyday life. Especially those that live in Seoul or in these big cities. It's just not unusual that people don't know how to swim. And Sam, he didn't know how to swim. What was unusual about that day was how he was getting bullied for it. Sam is about 10 to 12 years older than the other six Koreans there. Now, Korean culture, huge emphasis on respecting elders. And in Korea, 
elder respect isn't even just like, oh, show respect to your grandparents and to your parents. Even a one year age gap can warrant honorifics being used, which is like a whole new language being used to even address someone. Wait, Sam's 10 to 12 years older. Yeah. How old is Sam? He's late 30s, like 40s. So everyone's like 20, 30s. Yeah, like 29 ish to 30. Wow. To give you an example of how serious this is, there are three ways to say happy birthday in Korean. If you are saying happy birthday to your equal, it's 생일 축하해, happy birthday. If you're saying it to someone maybe one or two years older than you, then you say 생일 축하드립니다, which is a very respectful way. Now let's say there's a grandfather or someone older than your own parents, then you'll use 생신 축하드립니다. Three ways to say happy birthday. That's how crazy these honorifics and respect by age is taken in South Korea. There might be more ways for all I know. Respect is a very serious thing. But these six, they're treating Sam like the laughing stock of the group, which is bizarre. Regardless of respect culture in Korea, it's just cruel behavior. The seniority context just adds another layer of maliciousness. So another incident was filmed that day that shows Sam in the water next to the waterfall in this inflatable tube. He's floating near the shore. And while a few of the others in this clip, mainly Joe and Leo, are going to jump into the, to the water off the cliff, Une and the girls are on the shore. And at one point, Joe and Leo, so this is Une's boyfriend and ex-boyfriend that Sam just thinks are her friends. He has no idea. Okay. <laughs> They swim over to Sam's tube and start dragging the tube deeper near the waterfall. And sure, you could say it's supposed to be a cute little joke, but Sam is clearly uncomfortable and terrified as the water is known to be pretty deep. Deep enough for people to jump off a 15-foot cliff without injuring themselves. So he's trying to get them to stop and he keeps politely saying, Oh, it's so cold. Like, the water is so cold, so cold. Okay, so in Western culture, someone could argue that's not a clear boundary that's being set. If he doesn't want to go deeper into the water, he should say, I don't want to go deeper into the water, right? But Koreans have a very strong or more different social cue read the room standard. And one of the biggest things taught, even when you're a kid, is nunchi. So by Sam saying, oh, the water is cold, is a clear indication for almost every single Korean with good nunchi, he does not like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. This is a very polite way of saying, I don't like this, please stop this. I'm telling you something is cold and it's making me uncomfortable. He's setting a boundary. I know it sounds weird if you're not Korean, but trust me, it's not a reach. But they continue dragging him deeper, deeper into the water. And Leo ends up swimming away. Joe is still with Sam. And now Joe is rocking his tube. He's using like both of his arms to rock Sam's tube. And Sam is seen on the video trying to reach behind him to pry Joe's fingers off the tube. Wow. This next part is chilling. But Sam's wife, Une, is standing there filming. And she says, Which is, he can't flip him over. The way she says it, the tone, it's almost as if she is making a conclusion. She's talking to them or to herself? The other girls that are there. Wow. But the way she's saying it is not like, oh my God, like he can't flip him over. Botijimne is like an observation, a revelation, a conclusion she's made. Then one of the girls on the shore chimes in because he's too heavy. And it's almost like a cue for Une to now lighten up her tone because she goes from botijimne to uh -huh, because he's heavy. Mm, so he, her voice shifted. Instantly. Mm. It was kind of chilling, honestly. Une even calls her ex, Leo. Hey, Leo, go help him flip Sam over. What? And she, wait, she knows that he doesn't know how to swim, though. Everybody knows. 
everybody. But knows. they're trying to get him into the water. Yeah. It's unclear if at one point Leo does go over to help rock the tube. But in the next clip, we see Joe by himself really put all of his strength into rocking Sam's tube. Like he was kind of joking around earlier. Now, now Sam is being submerged in water. Not fully. He's not turned over, but his head is probably being submerged in water. He hasn't flipped yet, though. I mean, any point he could easily flip. He's being violently shaken by Joe. Une is still recording and laughing as if this is the funniest thing in the world to her. When Sam gets a chance to escape, he tries using his hands to float away from Joe, but Joe catches up to him, and one of the girls starts singing the Jaws theme song, like ba-da, ba-da, and saying shark, shark. In a heartbreaking part, Sam is so panicked and scared, he covers both of his ears with his hands, and Joe continues to rock the tube. At one point in the video, you can hear Sam trying to reason with Joe and the rest of the group, and Sam says, please, let's just stop this now. Joe says, I'm not going to stop this. What are you even saying? Okay, got it. I'm sorry. I'll apologize. Please stop this. It's immature and I'm not having fun. I'm not having fun anymore. Une is fine with her boyfriend and ex-boyfriend doing this to Sam. Now, at this point, I wouldn't even be able to tell that Une was even Sam's wife. I would think that Une is Sam's biggest enemy. Even Chloe. So Chloe is the ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend, remember? Yeah. Chloe said she had no clue Une was even married, let alone to Sam. I mean, they were stuck together the entire day, eating every meal together, hanging out, even the two-hour car ride to the waterfall. Joe was driving, and Une was in the passenger seat in the front. Sam was in the back. <laughs> it was Sam's car they were driving. If anything, it seemed like Joe and Une were the married couple. It was to the point where, after the death, police got involved and asked Chloe about Une's husband, and her jaw dropped. She said, never in a million years could I have imagined that Une was married to Sam. There was no indication that they were married. None. Three hours after the tube rocking video was taken, Sam was found dead in the water. This next part is basically Chloe's testimony on what happened that night at the waterfall. Chloe said that it was getting late and very dark. Yuna and her boyfriend, so the other couple that aren't really pivotal in today's case, they start complaining that they're getting cold. So they tell the group, hey, we're just going to go into our car in the parking lot and sit in the car with the heater on and we'll just wait for you guys. Now, according to Chloe, this is when Unhe suggests, we have to go now. Let's just do one jump together. One last one. And this is just weird. If you're jumping into the water from around 15 feet, your full body is going to get submerged. Your hair, everything's going to get submerged. I don't know anyone that would want to get purposely wet again after becoming fully dry, like right before getting into a vehicle for a two-hour drive. Mm-hmm. It seems true. counterintuitive. It just seems gross. Like, I don't think anyone wants to do that. And it's cold. It's cold. Yeah. And the worst part is, Une herself isn't even jumping in. So why does she care? It's not like she wants to go up and all of them hold hands and jump into the water and she just loves it so much she wants to do it one last time. Why does she care if everyone else does it one last time? She's not even doing it. Joe and Leo, boyfriend and ex-boyfriend, they agree for the last jump. And Sam does not. He hasn't been cliff jumping all day because he doesn't know how to swim. He's just been in the tube, right? And Unhe whines. All the men are willing to run up together, but my opa doesn't do it. Wow. Chloe states that Unhe has been pressuring Sam all day to cliff jump the entire day. And when he said no again for this last jump, she said, fine, I'll go instead. I'll do it. As if someone has to do it. Like, it it was weird. She's insinuating that she's sacrificing herself for him so that he doesn't have to do something. This is when Sam just, I imagine, exhausted, says, fine, fine, I'll, I'll go. Some people question why he chose to do this. I mean, 
I think that he knew that if he didn't, none of this would stop. I imagine he just wanted the day to be over. I mean, look at how the day had been going so far. He just wants to go home is how I see it. He's seen how relentless these people are, how this group is. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he had said no as a joke. The group would have hauled him up the cliff and threw him in by themselves. I wouldn't even put it past these people. At around 8.30 p.m. that day, Una's boyfriend Joe and her ex-boyfriend Leo and her husband Sam walk up the cliff to jump one last time. They climb up 15 feet. Unhe and Chloe are watching from the shore. The other couple, they're gone. They're in the car in the parking lot. They don't see anything. Joe has this inflatable tube with him. The ones that look like donuts, they're just for one person, like the skinnier ones. And he throws the tube down into the water first, and then he dives in head first into the water. He splashes around surfaces. He puts the tube around his hips, and he's just kind of leisurely floating, waiting for the other two to jump. Leo, the ex-boyfriend, jumps next. He goes feet first, and then he comes up from the water, and he's just kind of floating around too. Now it's Sam's turn. He hesitates for a second, and then he jumps into the water 15 feet below. The water at the deepest point here is about 10 feet deep. Chloe recalls seeing Sam resurface. So she sees Sam, he's not drowning, he's back at the surface, and Chloe insists that nobody push Sam. He jumped in by his own free will. She also insists that she definitely saw his head come up from the water. Chloe said that Sam seemed completely fine. Like, yeah, he couldn't swim, but he wasn't struggling. So he was floating. Maybe it's instinctual. Maybe some people just naturally know how to float. I don't know. And they're all kind of slowly headed towards the shore. He's kind of slowly inching closer. And Chloe claims that she saw something really odd. Joe made some sort of weird gesture with his hand, like he's like signaling someone. And before Chloe could comprehend what's going on, like, did he mean to do that? Who is he signaling? What, what does he mean by that? What is that even, what is that? Before she could even put two and two together, Unhe turns to her and says, hey, can you grab me a cigarette? Chloe turns around, bends over to reach into her purse to grab a cigarette. And as she's faced away from the water, she hears ah coming from behind, like a sudden ah, and then the scream stops. Chloe turns around and saw Sam was struggling to stay afloat. He was now actively drowning, and she didn't understand because he was fine just a second ago. Joe is still in his inflatable tube, and he starts swimming towards Sam. He's only about 30 feet away. So to give you an idea, most residential pools, so these are not pools in your apartment complex or in like a building or a gym. These are like small backyard pools. They range from 20 to 40 feet in length. So 30 feet, it's far, but it's, it's not that far, especially if you're a strong swimmer like Joe, it's not far at all. Experts have stated it would take someone like Joe about 20 seconds to swim 30 feet. But Chloe saw the whole scene in front of her and it was bizarre. Joe is swimming so slow. And just watching from the shore, Chloe said that she's getting tatape, which means so frustrated. She yells at him like, hey, take off your tube because it's around his waist. So he's basically just like swimming, but the tube is keeping him in place. And he's just literally moving around in the same spot. So she's like, take off your damn tube. She watches as Joe takes off his tube and flings it away from his body and away from Sam. And he starts swimming towards Sam. Now... I just think that part is so interesting. That's That goes against instinct to throw the tube away from Sam. Yeah. yeah. But he throws his tube away, starts swimming, still suspiciously slow. And Unhe suggests to Chloe, we should go grab the life ring. The life ring is kind of up the cliff on the hill. 
So they run to grab it, but now Sam is fully out of Chloe's sight. By the time that they grab the life ring and come back to shore to toss it into the water, it probably would have taken two minutes. That's what experts think. Chloe said it was too late. The water was calm. Sam was nowhere to be seen. Instead, there was just Joe walking out, standing waist deep in water, and he just kept repeating, I don't see him. I don't see him. He said he couldn't save Sam because there was low visibility in the water because it was dark. What about Leo? Leo's just like, yeah, I couldn't see him. <laughs> and it was so odd. It felt like everyone was in on it. Unhei, Joe, even Chloe's boyfriend, Leo, who Chloe would soon find out was still allegedly sleeping with Unhei still. It's like they all knew something that Chloe didn't know. Chloe was the one to call 119, emergency services. The authorities arrived, retrieved Sam from the water, attempted CPR, but Sam was dead. They closed his case as an accidental drowning. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Sam's family had never been to his luxury newlywed apartment, even though Sam's family kind of paid for it. Every time they wanted to visit Sam and his wife Une's house and bring a housewarming gift and, I don't know, hang out with their daughter-in-law, Sam would tell them, no, 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 please don't come. Like, he would always have a good reason as to why they shouldn't. We're, we're not home right now. We're doing some work around the house. It's just so messy. Uh, we're in the middle of something right now. If you come, you're going to stress out my wife because she's going to be stressed that we didn't clean the whole place. They didn't know the newlywed home they helped pay for was occupied by Unhe and her boyfriends. Sam, the husband, didn't even live there. They found out after his death that Sam and Unhe did not live together. Unhe lived in this luxury apartment that Sam paid for. Whatever boyfriend she was seeing at the time lived with her in that apartment. Sometimes she had multiple boyfriends or even girlfriends live with her all on Sam's dollar rent free. Meanwhile, Sam lived really close to his workplace in a tiny little basement unit. We don't even know for certain how Sam and Une met. I mean, it's claimed that they met at a brothel, but Sam told his family that they met at work. None of Sam's co-workers even remember working with her or let alone seeing her. Sam had been working this office job for a while. He was making around sixty to 70000 a year, which is great considering the national average in South Korea is around 35000 a year. So he makes double the average salary. And on top of that, Sam has always been a big saver. So by the time that he meets Unhe, he already saved up like three hundred, over $300,000, which in wow. this recent economy, that's a huge, huge accomplishment. Yeah. Very few people are able to do that. 
And it's clear that Une was attracted to that. And the fact that Sam was very kind, did not care that she had a daughter from a previous relationship. I know here it's like nothing, but in Korean culture, it tends to be a bit more of a quote, I guess you could say relationship obstacle than in the U.S., They got married and Sam initially thought, okay, we're going to have a regular normal life, right? But right out the gate, things are difficult. Eunhae insists that they have two places. Sam was tied to Suwon, Suwon City for work, but she's like, I'm not moving there. I hate it there. I refuse over my dead body. She wanted to live in Incheon, which is where the airport is. She demanded he get her a nice luxury apartment in Incheon, and that would be considered their marital primary residence. And he would rent a dingy basement unit in Suwon, and he would just stay there during the weekdays. That was a plan. And during the weekends, he would come home to the luxury apartment in Incheon. A few major problems with this. Sam is the one working and paying for everything. He would be spending most of his time in a below-ground basement unit. Korean basement units are known to just be really, really, really rough to live in. Technically, you weren't even supposed to live in those. They were created for the purpose of being bunkers in case North Korea waged war. But now they're being rented out because of the housing crisis. And there has recently been a lot of discourse on these units. They were flooded during the last monsoon season. A lot of families were either killed or lost everything because there was no way out of the water. Like water was treading in. It's a really bad living situation. It's basically what the whole Oscar winning movie Parasite is about. It's below ground. Usually the units will get little windows at the top of their walls, very close to their ceilings because they're basement level that let in just like the tiniest bit of light. But right outside the window, it's ground floor. That's the pavement. So there's bugs, rats, cockroaches, dust, pollution, dirt, trash that just gets swept into their apartment. And anyone can bend down and just look straight into their unit. In the winter, it's freezing and it's worse in the summer. So in the summer, it gets unbearably humid and there's rapidly growing mold, but you can't open the window because then rats will climb in. And the tiny cramped bathrooms in these units, most of the times they don't even have sinks. You can barely stand up in the restrooms without bumping your head on the ceiling. I mean, if you watch the movie Parasite, apparently there's a basement smell that you can't even get rid of. That's how people know that you live in a sub-basement unit is because of a smell. And regardless, it's just not a great place to live. It's more affordable than regular apartments, but it's rough. The South Korean government is actually trying to phase out the leasing of these units because of how bad it is. Sam is living in one of these basement units while Unhe lives in this expensive high-rise building. Sam had to take out a $100,000 loan just to be able to afford the deposit on that building. He borrowed tens of thousands of dollars from his family to be able to support Unhe's life there. And Sam's family didn't know this. But his friends did. And they all tried to tell him like, hey, this is weird. Like, this is not normal. Normal relationships don't work like this. What if she's cheating on you? You don't know what's going on in that house. You don't even have the key to that apartment. But he would just dismiss all of their concerns. And he said, it's nonsense. We're in love. And right now we're apart because she has a daughter. And I work in this city. And there's, there's no way for us to be together right now. The thing is, the original plan was Une was supposed to visit every weekend or Sam was to go. She never let Sam come to their luxury unit that he was paying for. But she also never went to Sam's basement unit. It was probably too gross for her compared to her luxurious apartment. She probably turned her nose up like she's too good for a place like that. But two days after Sam's death, Une was caught on CCTV cameras entering Sam's basement unit with Joe. They went in and they came out with boxes of valuables. Sam's computer, laptop, tablet, anything that he needed for work that had some sort of financial value, resale value, they took it. 
Neighbors said that was like one of the only times she was probably around. But what do we expect from someone like Une and Joe? I mean, she's she's the type of monster that really wouldn't mind watching her husband starve and suffer right before her eyes as long as she had a new Chanel bag. Every time Sam got paid, the money, all of it, would go in and out of his account. His bank was just a connection point. It went from his company's account to his bank account, lasted for two seconds, and then directly into Inez. She had full control over all of his finances. Even if he wanted to buy his own food and groceries, he would have to ask her for money. No, really, beg her for money. But even that's not enough. Une blew through Sam's entire life savings, $300,000, spent all of his salary, still wanted more. Like she always had an excuse of why she needed more money. He would take out loans for her. She would use her disabled parents as an excuse of where all this money is going. And in just five years, Sam went from being one of the most financially secured people in his friend group to being in heavy amounts of debt. The year before his passing in 2018, he had to file for bankruptcy and his total debt was listed at $120,000. Unhe did not care. She demanded more money. Sam took out more loans, like the loan for that apartment. She refused to share even a penny of Sam's own money with Sam. Sam's friends would later say, yeah, Sam died in June 2019, but he was dying for the past two years, starving to death. He didn't even have money to buy $2 ramen at the convenience store or a piece of bread. The cheapest meal at the convenience store, you could probably get it for $2. Yeah, with a drink, a triangle kimbap, Sam didn't even have that. He couldn't even afford the power and water in his basement unit. He would ask friends to borrow $3 for food, and his friends were getting concerned. They love Sam, and they knew that Sam isn't the type to ask for money unless it was urgent. So they're like, what's going on? Like, of course we can give you $3. We can give you a lot more. But dude, what the heck is going on? Like, what are you doing with your life? And they weren't trying to be rude about it. They were just like... Sam works nonstop all day. He's got a great job. He's always been great with money. And now he doesn't even spend lavishly on himself. His shoes are always broken down. His glasses, they're crooked. He's not even fixing his glasses. So what do you mean you don't have $3 for food? Sam would just respond, you know, at the office, I get my lunch taken care of, but there's no solution for the days that I'm not at the office. I've already lost 14 pounds the past two weeks, and I don't want people in the office to look at me any weirder. A few times, friends would send $100 and Sam would spend $3 and send $97 back. His friends said for the past two years before his death, Sam was constantly losing weight and he just seemed so out of energy. And Unha knew this. Like Sam was struggling to feed himself and she knew that he was basically starving. He would text her, breaking down, asking for some, some money. He would text her things like, I'm really sorry. They said that they're going to cut off my electricity. I won't make this type of request next week, really. But please, can I just have a little bit of money? I used the last money you gave me really frugally. Also, you must be so busy. You don't have to call me. Please just help me with my electricity bill. And like I said, you must be really busy. You really don't have to call. It's really okay. I guess if you need an explanation to make an excuse, my payday is the 21st and I was going to pay the electricity bill that day, but they said that they're going to cut it on the 14th. I'm really sorry again for making this type of request. Unfortunately, these text messages would only mean something to people with some sort of conscience or empathy, and Unha had neither. Okay, sometimes Sam would take the lighter approach. He would text her pictures of his shoes that were all ripped up or his glasses that were broken. And he would text, when the money comes in, please buy your husband new glasses and running shoes. My shoes rip, so I'm a little embarrassed at work. 
Une could not care less. She even asked Sam for a credit card under his sister's name so she could spend that. She racked up another $5,000 on Sam's sister's account. In another really, really sad text, Sam texted Une a picture of a lunch at the convenience store. This was like a very lavish lunch for him. It was no longer cup ramen. It was like a bento box with some vegetables. And he texted, I have no money. I have too much debt and debt from the company. I don't know how much this is. I think it's like seven or eight dollars. Please, can you just send me ten dollars? I promise I would have asked someone else, but I have nowhere else to go to ask for money now. He goes on to say, I was going to do whatever it took to live off that $30 that I had, but it auto-drafted away into the car payment. Side note, he doesn't even drive his car. She does. So it's not like he's out here just being bad with his money management, clearly. The situation got so bad that Sam didn't even see a way out of it. He started having thoughts about exiting. He purchased tools online that he thought he would need to do so, but he realized it'd be a very selfish choice to make. He felt like if he was going to die, he would leave something to Unhe before he did. I mean, yeah, he's got life insurance, but maybe he can do a little bit more. So Sam went online and stated that he was selling a ghost helicopter. He started getting messages from people all over the world inquiring about his weight and his age. Ghost helicopter in South Korea is a black market term. Ghost in Korean sounds a little bit like kidneys. And then helicopter is an acronym of sorts in English. H-E for heart, L-I for liver, C-O for corneas, P for pancreas, T-E for tendon, and R for retina. He wanted to sell his whole body, all of his organs. And he thought, at least I could bring in some extra money for Unhe before I exit. Meanwhile, there's a recorded conversation of Unhe asking him, rather demanding him to give her more money. Sam sounds confused. He says, today? You need the money today? Oh, I told you not today. Why? Because I, I told you I had to give it to redacted. I guess you had to pay someone back. No, I told you, Sam, I needed to be given the money first. It was supposed to be 500 today. You said that you would give it to me. Oh, but you always just let my words go out one ear and out the other, don't you? Unhe would use most of the money to splurge on designer goods and go on these abroad travels with her friends. In a letter Sam wrote when he was thinking of exiting, he wrote it to Une, and it reads, Une thinks I'm upset with her. She's so dumb. I'm not upset. I'm just exhausted. I don't have the energy anymore, and I just feel really sorry for Une. But I know that she won't even feel the empty spot that I leave behind. Une probably won't even come to my funeral. She's always so busy. Une did show up at Sam's funeral with her boyfriend and her ex-boyfriend. It stated that she was sitting outside the funeral hall with her little boyfriends playing mobile games on their phones. They weren't respectful at all, and if you just saw them, you wouldn't even know that they're attending a funeral right now. It seemed like a lighthearted gathering. The only time Unhe seemed emotional or even passionate about her husband's death was when it was about the life insurance payout which she got for Sam within five months of being married. She bought four different policies for Sam's life, and she was the sole beneficiary for every single one of them. His life insurance totaled to be around $650,000. The worst part is, the insurance agent that she bought these life insurance policies from was another ex-boyfriend of hers. Wow. Who knows if they were still seeing each other or sleeping with each other at this point. I mean, I would not put it past Une. 
So she's got Joe, her boyfriend on the side, Leo, her ex-boyfriend that she's still probably still sleeping with, and then the insurance agent that sold her her husband's life insurance policy, probably made commission from it, that she's probably sleeping with. And a really sad detail is, Sam knew the life insurance was a big part of his relationship with Inhe. He even joked to his friends, oh, don't worry about me. I've got, I've got life insurance. So when I die, a lot of money comes out. And in the insurance world, timing is everything. Sam died just four hours before his insurance expired. There's a Japanese delicacy that can kill 30 adults. It's pufferfish. So you know those like squishy looking fish? Some of them have like the spikes, some of them have small spikes, others have like the large huge spikes that are protruding out of them. And when you get too close, they puff up so it's harder for them to become prey. That's just one of the ways that they protect themselves. Another way is their blood. Their blood is highly poisonous. But humans are out here eating pufferfish. It's a delicacy called fugu, and it requires a highly specialized chef with just years and years of culinary experience because one wrong cut of meat from the pufferfish or too much blood, certain death. The pufferfish toxin is actually 1,200 times more poisonous than cyanide. One pufferfish has enough toxins to kill 30 full adult humans. There's no known antidote. Once it's in your system, there's nothing that can be done. Sharks are the only species that are immune to the pufferfish toxin. Humans are not immune. February 25th, 2019, just a few months before Sam's death, Une took Sam to eat pufferfish. For the last few months, Une had stopped paying for Sam's life insurance because it was too expensive to pay every single month, right? But just a week before eating pufferfish, she started paying for his life insurance again. And this would be a pattern. The unbelievable part is, Une didn't even pay the monthly fee for Sam's life insurance. It came from Sam's own money. But even then, Une feels like this is a waste of money. She hated seeing money that she could be spending on anything else like herself going to Sam's life insurance policy. The one where she's the sole beneficiary of. So she would constantly stop paying. He would not be insured. And then suddenly Une would be like, you know what? I'm going to pay the life insurance again. She would start paying for his life insurance. And conveniently, Sam would have a near-death experience almost immediately afterwards. Side note, Unhe would even stoop so low and have the shameless audacity to even ask for money from Sam's siblings to pay the life insurance. So like clockwork, February of 2019, she takes him to eat puffer fish. I don't know how she was able to get the pufferfish toxins only onto his plate, but she was able to. Sam ate the plate, but he only just got a little bit sick. Stomach ache, really. Une was so frustrated, she texted her boyfriend, Joe. I put so much blood and poison onto his plate. Why didn't he die? For a month or two after that, Une stopped paying for Sam's insurance again, but suddenly started making those payments again. And soon after, Sam almost drowned to death. So this is not even the day that he died. This is a different incident. This was exposed through a Korean YouTuber. One of Joe's ex-girlfriends was anonymously interviewed. So I know it's confusing. Une's boyfriend's Mm ex-girlfriend. So Joe is also seeing like a bunch of women at the same time. He's half Une's boyfriend and half her pimp. We're going to get into it. Yeah. Mm. So one of Joe's ex-girlfriends was anonymously interviewed by a YouTuber and she shared a story of how they all went on this cabin trip together in May of this year, just like a month before 
Sam died. She said so much of that trip was so familiar to what she was hearing on the news about his murder. She remembered the whole group bullying Sam while Unhae recorded. They knew that he couldn't swim, so they tried to make him use this floating floating device that you would need a lot of people. So you know those big floatables that has handles on the side and it needs a certain number of even weight distribution to mm, stay floating? Yes. They would all go out into the water like that and then they would scream and ditch. So he's like frantically trying to like stay afloat, but this floating device doesn't really work when it's just one person on one side. It just kept flipping over and Unhe is laughing, saying things like, Opa, are you having fun? Like, why is he so cute? He's so cute, isn't he? Joe's ex-girlfriend said everyone could tell that he's not having fun. And no, she did not really think that that was cute. Joe's ex remembered anytime Sam would even look in Unhe's direction or even try to talk to her or even make small little moments of contact with her, she looked irritated she looks so annoyed that night at the cabin this is like a cabin on the lake so they have this dock right outside the girlfriend ex-girlfriend tries to go to sleep and she hears this big scream and a splash outside on the docks she runs out and she sees both sam and joe in the water joe is calm but sam is screaming at unhe you push me you push me in the water so thankfully the water was not that deep he could stand because i think there hadn't been enough rain recently and Unhe just calmly states, what are you talking about? You were so drunk you fell in the water. Sam screamed, no, you pushed me. The ex-girlfriend said it was odd. It was really odd. It's like Unhe was almost rewriting his memory. She kept saying things like, what are you talking about? You think I pushed you in? Okay, fine. I pushed you in. I'm the bad guy, huh? I pushed you in on purpose. That's what I did, right? She would do this enough times. Finally, Sam submitted and said, Okay, okay, you're right, you're right, you didn't push me. It was so weird, but it seemed like there was a pattern of water-related accidents happening to Sam, and it was always right after Une reinstated his life insurance policy. Almost like she had a plan where she started paying the life insurance policy again, and then tried to enact her plan. So just to give you a few examples, insurance reinstated February 17th, 2019. Near-death pufferfish incident February 25th, 2019. Insurance canceled. Insurance reinstated April 30th, 2019. Near-death drowning incident May 10th, 2019. Insurance canceled. Insurance reinstated right before he died. And before Sam's death, Une received multiple letters from the insurance company because she was paying like earlier in June and he died on the last day of June. And it was saying, hey, if you don't get us the next payment, July 1st, 2019, we're going to cancel the plan. Hmm. Sam was found dead 9 p.m. the last day of June, four hours before the insurance was null and void. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. But Une had some fans in Korea, though. Yeah, 
So you know those reality makeover shows, extreme makeover? In Korea, I think there's some here in the US where they do extreme home makeovers. So the producers, they go out and they find families with touching backstories. They come into their house, give them a full home makeover, and the viewers tune in, everybody feels good, the whole thing is wholesome. Eunhye's family was chosen for an episode for one of these shows called Love House. She was 13 at the time. And Eunhye's parents, they were impoverished. Both of her parents were disabled. The entire family lived in a one-bedroom house, survived on a government check that was only like $350 a month. Both of her parents were wheelchair-bound. And Eunhye, ever since she was young, she did all the housework. She cared for her parents. She's like forced to grow up and mature really quickly. And she's 13 when this show comes into her life. She had a lot of fans from this episode. So like, yeah, the focus is on the remodel of the house, right? The design choices. But they also really focus on the homeowner's backstories. So they would show clips of Unhe just taking care of her parents, cleaning up around the place. And she seemed so dedicated for a little 13-year-old girl. Like parents at home were like poking their kids. Hey, look at you. Get off your little Nintendo. Look at that kid. What are you doing for me? Do you even love your parents? Look at this girl. Did we get all upset? The producers, they even asked Unhe, if you had one wish in the whole world, like what would it be? I mean, it could be anything. The producers aren't saying, I'm going to give it to you. It's a hypothetical question. She could have wished for a million dollars, a pet pig, anything. She's 13. But she said, I wish I could have my own room. Because I feel bad. I share a room with my parents and I'm a really noisy sleeper and I move around and I kick in my sleep and I talk and I have all these bad habits and... I know it makes them uncomfortable when they're sleeping. So I don't think that they can get a good night's sleep because of me. It was such a mature, kind, selfless answer. She didn't even want her own room because she's 13 and wants her own room. She wants her own room because she feels like she's disturbing her parents' sleep at night. She would even say on the show, later when I'm older, I want to give what I receive to others during hard times. That same girl on Love House would grow up to be the main suspect of a true crime show in South Korea. And everyone is confused. How did she even get there? A few years after being on the home makeover show, Une would meet Joe. This is the boyfriend that was on the trip with her. They've been friends since like high school. They were on and off dating. And the thing that bonded them together was sex. Une started hanging out with boys in her school and the school in the town over. And every time she would spend time with boys, the rumor was she would be paid a fee. So... Eventually, it would evolve into full-blown sex work by the time that she was in high school. And Joe was essentially her handler slash pimp. And after getting into this crowd, Una's life just takes a 180. She runs away from home. She abandons her parents. She drops out of school. Her highest level of education is middle school. And in one year, Una was in and out of the police station like 10 times for petty offenses. At 18, Una finally shows back at home and drops a baby off, a little baby girl. And is like, I can't do it. Bye. Leaves. Une's parents, they take full custody over this child. And we have no further information on like who the dad is or really anything about that. A lot of people said that Une just, just lost sight of everything that really mattered. She abandoned her parents, refused to take care of her own kid, didn't care about anyone but herself. She started getting a lot of plastic surgery on her face. Now, I don't think it's our place to judge when someone has plastic surgery, right? But I think that the reason that netizens were really dogging on her for this later is... You know, one, she's a shady, evil person, but also 
She gave her disabled parents the huge responsibility of raising her child because she stated she didn't have the money to be a mom, but she spent a ton of her money on plastic surgery. So I can see how that feels gross to netizens, like just making sure it's known that it's not the act of plastic surgery that they don't like. It's just, you know, you get it. And I think in hindsight, it's really to see her as this like vapid, manipulative, shallow, gross person that she is. But at the time, for Sam... I think that he just saw the girl from Love House. I think that he knew it was rough for her. But he saw this sweet girl who had to grow up too fast. And maybe now she's a little reckless with the money because she wants to be a kid again. She never had a childhood. So maybe she wants to experience it now. Maybe that's why she tends to want to have more fun and wants more excitement than Sam does. She's trying to live through her kid life again. But she still feels like pressure and stress from her parents and being a single mom. So it's just, I can see how people feel sympathetic towards her. He probably saw her as this very strong, sensitive woman that he could help. Sam would see the good in people because Sam was a good person. But like, what do you think is one of the last things you would do if your loved one passed from drowning? I don't know if this is a conscious choice. But I feel like most people would probably avoid bodies of water. Or at least I imagine it would take a lot for someone to go enjoy leisurely activities on bodies of water without thinking about their loved one who just passed. Eunhae went to a water park two months after her husband's death. She even went wakeboarding in a lake. There's a video of her that she posted. She would later claim in prison that that video was taken way before sam's death but like we don't know for sure we do know for sure that she did go to a water park which feels wrong the 100 days after sam's passing unhe was focused on having fun she went to the water park she went wakeboarding she went on an overseas trip with her friends and her daughter she hung out with her new boyfriend joe but fine like we say this all the time we really can't dictate how people grieve and process trauma but like there's just so much in this case that does not add up Even the events of that day. So the forensics, the expert testimonies, they don't make sense. For example, professionals state there is a chance, a possibility that even though Sam was okay when he first dropped into the water, he could have had a sudden muscle ache from the cold water. So he gets a muscle cramp, he starts drowning. But they also argued that it's very suspicious that Joe couldn't reach him in time to save him. I mean, even if he did reach him, I get there's a chance that Joe can't save him. When people are drowning, there's a chance that it's very difficult to help them because they keep panicking and they might even try to take you down with them, right? But that wasn't even a consideration in this case because Joe was swimming extremely slow and never even made it to Sam. Another odd thing is Joe had a tube around his waist. When he took it off to, quote, swim faster, he threw it away from him and away from Sam. Une's actions, according to Chloe, I mean, it's all so strange. And it's alleged that before Chloe called emergency services, she said Joe turned to the group and said, make sure we don't look suspicious. The group would tell authorities that Sam did not struggle in the water. So they heard him hit the water. He said, ah! and then went under, never resurfaced. That's why they couldn't find him because it was too dark to see in the water and he wasn't splashing around. So they had no idea where he was. They're looking around. Joe's like, I don't even know where to swim, right? Because I don't know where he is. But that completely goes against the forensic findings of this case. According to professionals who performed Sam's autopsy, they said that there was evidence that his lungs retained quick amounts of air and water. How do they know? Because there was foam found in his lungs. Foam only occurs when air and water repeatedly enter and exit the trachea. 
It's a strong indication that Sam was struggling in the water. He was likely coming up, trying to get air, then going back down, coming up, trying to get air, going back down. So their statement that Sam never struggled in the water, it did not match the forensics. It just didn't. Additionally, the police had a theory that his foot got caught on a rock and that's why he drowned because he was kept underwater. But like I said, the forensics don't match up to that because that would have resulted in very little or no foam in his lungs. He would not have had the chance to surface for air. And really add to the fact that Una knew that her husband could not swim but kept encouraging him to jump off a cliff into deep water and peer pressuring him to do so, very questionable. And there's just so many other inconsistencies. Sam's friend stated that it was really out of character for him to jump into the water unless he felt like he absolutely had to. This man is not a risk taker, they said. So this is not something that he would have done unless he felt forced. Even Sam's wedding to Une, there was no official wedding ceremony. They just did paperwork. Sam told his family it was because Une's parents were upset that Sam was a decade older. They said that having a wedding ceremony would just make their daughter look strange. So while they approved of the marriage, they felt like they couldn't have a wedding for social judgment reasons. Then it gets weirder. After Sam's death, Sam's entire family finds out that Une had a daughter from a previous relationship. They didn't know about this kid. They only found out after Sam had passed, but it made things so much more complicated because Sam didn't have a will when he passed and he had legally adopted Une's daughter. Une's daughter is the rightful heir to basically everything Sam owns. But not only that, there could be potential that even Sam's parents could be responsible for the care of Sam's legally adopted daughter. And if they pass and have no will, and if Sam's other siblings pass without a will, technically, Sam's adopted child could fight for a piece of the rest of the family's inheritance and money. An attorney stated, according to the rule of inheritance by representation, the daughter is the direct descendant of the deceased Sam. And because of that, she becomes the heir to the family, according to Sam's ranking in the family tree. Sam's older sister, Mizhong, is seeing all of this unfold and she thought, there's just no way. Like, there's no way that she's not going to get justice for her brother. She posts a Blue House petition for the government. She stated that every single day since her brother's murder has been filled with pain and despair. She compiled a document with all the evidence she had so far and she made it public. Side note, this document was almost like a group project. Netizens who knew people close to the case or YouTubers that interviewed people that knew people close to the case, they all started contributing to this evidence document. And at the very end of it, it was signed from the people of the Republic of Korea. Sam's sister went on to state, married life looked a little bit difficult for Sam, but I never imagined it would be like this. My younger brother wanted love, but Eun-hae seemed to have some other intentions. My younger brother wouldn't have known that, but I just wonder why couldn't he get away from her quickly? It makes my heart ache so much. I just want to know the truth. Her Blue House petition got 100,000 signatures in one day. Along with SBS's episode and production team's investigation, the police and prosecutors were forced to reopen the case. Now, if police had properly investigated the first time around, they would have learned that Une had very bad luck with guys and relationships. It was basically a pattern at this point. So before Sam, Une was almost married at least four times in the past 10 years. Out of the four, it said that three of them are now dead. Her first relationship ended in a car crash. And this is an alleged story, by the way. It's alleged that Une and her husband were in a car driving around Incheon and they were T-boned a hit and run. 
It's rumored that Une's husband died because they were T-boned from that side. She received insurance money from this. And again, this is a rumor on how the first marriage ended. The speculation being Une set up a hit and run to kill her first husband to get insurance money and she survived the car crash. This is an allegation. Then her second marriage or relationship, this one has a lot more confirmed details. Une started dating a man named Mr. Lee. He was working at a host bar. And if you watch our Yandere case, I do a deep dive into the host bar culture. Go check it out. But he worked at a host bar and Une was a customer. They hit it off. They move in together and they're young. You know, this is early 20s. So Mr. Lee, he's like, I got to go do my mandatory two-year military enlistment. So our relationship feels a little shaky. Une is like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm going to wait for you. Don't worry. I think we should do one last trip, though, to remember each other by. She requested he pay for a last trip to Thailand together. Both of them boarded a plane, and only Unhe came back. July 16th, 2014, almost exactly five years before Sam's death, Mr. Lee died in Thailand. The couple went snorkeling to see coral reefs, and in the process, Unhe claimed that her boyfriend fainted and eventually died. When she came back to Korea, all of Lee's friends are like, what are you talking about? Why? How could he just faint and then die? Like, we want answers. She said, oh, he drank too much and then got swept away by the waves. Lee's older brother said, none of it made sense. I think she's hiding something. I thought even in that moment, there was a possibility that she killed him. But the confusing part is Lee's father was the beneficiary of Lee's life insurance policies. The Lee family cannot confirm if Une had other policies in his name that they just don't know about. But the one that they did know about, his one life insurance, it was paid out to the Lee parents. The police briefly investigated the suspicious death of Lee and closed the case deeming it an accidental death. Now with what happened to Sam, I mean the suspicion is that she drowned him. But there's no way to prove it. Lee was cremated in Thailand. Then in Unhe's last relationship before Sam, she did something really bizarre. She was engaged to a man, let's call him Patrick. And according to those who knew Patrick, they said that Patrick was just like head over heels in love with Unhe. He really, really loved her, wanted to marry her, but everyone in his life is like, pump the brakes, this girl is weird. Patrick's parents, his friends, they all said, I don't know, just something is weird about that girl. First of all, Une is going around meeting all of us, meeting your family, meeting your friends, but you've never met a single one of her friends or family. Does she not have friends? Does she not have family? But she talks about them, so why can't you meet them? Patrick thought, oh, they're just being so cautious, you know, so skeptical. Love is love. The couple go ahead and they start planning their wedding. The weekend of the wedding shows up and it's like a full weekend of festivities. They had rehearsal dinners, parties before the actual wedding. And this would be the first time that Patrick would actually meet in his friends and family. And Patrick's friends immediately off the bat are like, this is so suspicious. It's the wedding weekend. All of them are showing up in clothes that are not appropriate for the wedding weekend. It looked like they didn't even know that they were coming to a wedding or they either straight up didn't care, which I don't know which one's worse. And Une's parents, they barely know a thing about her. They don't even seem like her parents. Patrick's parents were so suspicious that they immediately hired a PI. And they discovered that all the people that Une had invited to this wedding, paid actors. Wow. Even her parents. It's another uh, Anna. Anna Delvey, yeah. Yeah. Patrick confronted Une about it, and she left him at the altar, abandoned him. It really, really messed with Patrick. His friend said, after this, Patrick developed severe depression, social phobia. I mean, he's still struggling mentally. What's crazy is, even after leaving Patrick at the altar, Une comes back, knocks on Patrick's door with her daughter and is like, this is your baby. The timeline didn't match up. 
It was clear that was not Patrick's baby. So then Unha just left again. And I don't think that she ever tried to contact him ever since. And because fall of 2016, Unha married Sam Yoon. So she had four very serious relationships in the past 10 years. And she probably did have a ton of other relationships with a ton of other partners. But she's a serial cheater. These were like her four main ones. So out of the past four, three allegedly died. And Unhe was determined to be the one that got away. When the police start looking for Unhe, she is on the run with Joe. Beginning of 2022, Unhe and Joe are placed on Interpol's most wanted list. Everyone is on the lookout for this child star turned potentially serial killer. People are concerned since Joe has a lot of shady businesses. They've got contacts in the criminal world and other countries that could help them flee Korea and keep them hidden. I mean, it would be really hard to find them if that were the case. But three months in, police get a hit. Unhe and Joe never left Korea. They were in South Korea in a smaller town and they weren't even trying to hide. They were caught in a city hanging out with friends. Not even just them two, <laughs> with friends. Like how bold and how cocky do you have to be? Yeah, that's bizarre. And Korea's filled with cameras. Yes, they were caught on CCTV cameras as well. Authorities descended on the region, but they tried to watch the couple for a few days. I don't know if either they were trying to gather more intel on them or likely they were probably trying to find a way to apprehend them without putting other lives at risk. But they were finally apprehended four months into being on the run. They only made it this far because Joe had a ton of cash from his alleged shady businesses. Now, side note, authorities stated the little apartment that they rented was trashed by the time that the police got there. It was filled with designer goods. There was no furniture. They found five phones, a laptop, and a USB hidden in the ceiling of the master bedroom of the rented apartment. Unhe was arrested, then Joe, then the ex-boyfriend Leo. But prosecutors, they're, they're mainly focused on Unhe and Joe. Leo is being charged for like being an accomplice and like conspiracy to commit, but not really for murder. During the trial, Unne and her parents, they try to do damage control to her image. And now I want to make it clear, I don't blame the parents at all. I think maybe they either truly thought she was innocent or maybe I imagine they might have felt guilt like they had a role in this if they hadn't made her grow up too quickly. I just feel like they probably put a lot of blame on themselves. Her father tried to tell the judge that Une was innocent and she has a reputation in their neighborhood for being a great daughter who always cares for their parents. But it was also proven that Une had not spoken to her parents in over a year and the residents of the parents' neighborhood said, I have never not once seen that girl, ever. And there's just a lot of things that Une lies about that comes out during the trial. Like, when does she not lie? I don't know. When she was reaching out to SBS producers to try and get her insurance money, which is insane, that she went out of her way to reach out to television show producers and wanted a whole episode of a docu-series on her, of her story, just to get her paid. I mean, I'm sure part of it was also an opportunity to get sympathy and potentially even some fame from it. Who knows? But she told producers that her parents were being sent money by Sam and that everyone in the family was going to starve without this insurance payout. When SBS contacted Une's mom, she had no idea what money they're talking about. Una never sent them money. So before she reached out to SBS, the case was closed. Yes, but the insurance company, they, they were like, you're sus. Yeah, yeah, it's for insurance. So they just don't want to pay. But now she's like trying to get some money out of this and that's what opened it up right yes she it's her first of all filing a lawsuit against the insurance company 
But even then, I don't think that this case would have blown up the way that it did. But she reached out to SBS producers to do a whole episode on how shady this insurance company is and how the public should riot with her to get her paid is the incentive that she had. See, that's the that's the audacity that the the most evil people yes like they just really really think like oh my gosh i need to get my money and and wow like you would think that most people if they i don't think most people would commit murder but let's say they did i would think that most of them would be like i gotta just be quiet and go live in a corner somewhere but she's like no i need the world to know about my injustice of not being paid this is unfair Yeah. And then the SBS producers, they just felt like something was so off about her. They started investigating and they were picking up these little rumors by people who knew the couple. And they started doing a full-blown investigation on their own into this case. So, yeah. I mean, even the whole money thing. SBS producers were told by Inhead that Sam was the breadwinner for her parents and that's why the insurance money was a big deal. Sam was under the impression that he was paying for Inhead's parents. Inhead was lying about it. Her parents never received any funds. It went straight into Inhead's just lavish lifestyle. Like this woman is honestly pure evil. Even when the SBS episode aired that exposed her for who she was, she applied for a provision injunction to ban the episode from continually airing. Needless to say, Una's trial did not go over well. It did not help that she was a shameless person, like her history of past relationships, her history of turning Sam's insurance on and off, the videos of them torturing Sam the day of his death. I mean, all of that, like, I don't know how a defense attorney would even defend something like that. Even filing the lawsuit against the insurance company, it's just an extra level of gross. You know, Joe... Joe also sued more than 100 people for defamation before he was arrested. If anyone commented on this case, they were getting slapped with a lawsuit by Joe. And since this was before he was arrested, a lot of the people were terrified of being sued for defamation. So they tried to settle. Now, I want to say that most of the people that he sued, and don't quote me on this, from what I can gather, most of them were small people online. So they were not YouTubers, influencers, mainstream media, podcasters, press journalists, news Mm. networks. These are just like random commentators that are posting like on Reddit. They're like, oh, like, look at this case. Look at what's going on. I think he's guilty. Random people. They would try to settle. They would say, okay, like, can I just take the post down and give you $1,000? Because I'm nobody. Like five people saw my post and like one of them was you. So why does it matter? And Joe refused. His lawyer would hit back with, we're not settling for anything less than 1.5. 1.5 what? Million? No, no, no. One, uh, like uh, 1,500. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, I see. So yeah, the audacity. Oh, so they wanted, they wanted more. Wanted more. They're negotiating. For like these people that genuinely, like they did not have reach. And I'm not saying that in an insulting way, but like, yeah, what are yeah, you suing yeah. them just for? They're greedy and. Yeah, yeah, they're just like regular people on the internet. Not even journalists covering this case. Yeah, just, just normal a, people. Another opportunity for them to harass more people. A hundred people. During the trial, the word gaslighting was a huge thing. I feel like gaslighting has been overused in the U.S. to the point where it's kind of lost its meaning, which is not good. But in Korea, I think the word and definition were just recently starting to be taken seriously. It would be thrown out during the trial because later judge would say that it's hard to prove gaslighting. But the prosecutors, they tried. There are voice recordings of Unhe manipulating Sam by saying things like, When I drink, I turn into someone else, and I treat those who I feel like are the closest to me really badly. I didn't do anything to you because I don't like you or because I was trying to ignore you. I'm just like that. It's very hard for people to listen to. 
Eunhae was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Joe, the boyfriend, was found guilty and sentenced to 30 years in prison. And in one last moment of shamelessness, Eunhae said this about her verdict. The investigative agency has already reached a conclusion, so I lost the opportunity to prove my innocence. Basically being like, I'm innocent, but they already made up their minds about me, so what can I do? Joe stated, on the day of the accident, I did my best in rescue activities. Leo, the ex-boyfriend, is also awaiting trial, but it doesn't seem like prosecutors are really pursuing him aggressively. But I will say he's a very shady character. He's got 28 records on his criminal rap sheet. He was also arrested for like domestic violence, really heinous things. It's said that he worked with Joe in all the shady illegal businesses. So there's that. And speaking of prison, I was hoping that maybe she would feel some human level of remorse. But netizens were shocked to discover that she made a pen pal in prison. His name is Cho Jubin. And we're going to be talking about him very, very soon. He was arrested for helping run the child sex trafficking ring, Enthroom. Which is one of the most vile, yeah. evil, yeah. It's, yeah. I think even on an international scale, that was probably one of the most shocking, vile things I've seen. He was sentenced to 45 years in prison, and when he heard Une was in prison, he started writing to her, almost talking to her like he's some sort of sick mentor. It said their letters to each other consisted of them basically babying each other and being like, oh, poor baby, the world is so mean to us. We're gonna get out soon. I don't think the contents of the actual letters have been released, but these are what people have been saying were the contents. They're just consoling each other, really. Yeah. And remember how the police declared Sam's death an accidental drowning at first? Mm -hmm. The prosecutor of that jurisdiction that handled the case from the get-go had to post an apology to her Facebook page. It's very lengthy, but it's very PR standard. She apologized and stated that they were going to have an internal investigation into the case on why this happened. I would say that most people were shocked at just how evil these people could be. And I mean, some of them even wondered if there's anyone that Unhe didn't date. It just seemed like she seems to have some sort of romantic connection with everyone. Other comments mentioned the fact that there were still other people that weren't arrested that were there. Why did they do nothing? Yeah. Someone commented, really, I think if I were in that position, I would have done something to stop this. Yeah. How can people watch others suffer so much? Is that yeah. even possible? This is like, you would think this is happening in the high school, right? In, in school, bully. Yes. But you would not expect this to happen as an adult. No, especially, okay. You know, I don't know what I would have done in high school. I think high school, I was a timid kid that just really wanted to fit in. I think even in high school, I would have yeah. said something, right? But now in my late 20s, like you would you would genuinely have to hold me back from saying something. Like yeah, that's yeah, kind exactly. of crazy. Yeah. They said nothing and they're watching it happen, not once, but throughout the entire day. Not one person. Another comment said, I have nothing to say. My heart hurts so much watching these videos. Still, he believed this was love and he would have endured anything and everything for that bitch. He could have been loved by someone worthy. But I'm so angry that he met a woman who is not even a human being and went through all that pain. I hope these people live in pain till the day they die. And to those who resorted to victim-blaming Sam, because there were some heinous people who said some heinous things about how he should have known it wasn't love. How could he not see that she was evil? Some people even made remarks about their looks. 
yeah, some of the comments were really dark, but I think one comment that addresses it really well says, if you look at the way Sam was messaging his friends, he would ask for $3 just to buy ramen for a meal, and if they sent more, he would send the rest back. Sam was kind by nature. I think because he was so kind, he could never really believe truly evil people existed. I think he never imagined evil people could do such things, especially his wife. It's so sad, it just breaks my heart how scary and cruel it must have been for him. But I hope he finds peace in heaven. But there were also some really bizarre comments. Some people still supported Inhit. They wrote, If you're pretty, everything is forgiven. The crime is not important. The face is important. If you're pretty, everything is forgiven. There's a saying in Korean, like, which is like, again, if you're pretty, everything is forgiven. Another comment was, Honestly, if Inhit did anything wrong, it was at least a pretty sin. <sighs> And probably one of the worst. You can come to me, Inhei. But she can't because she's in prison for the rest of her life. So. Wow. Whoever said that really, I think they deserve each other. Yeah. Wow. Like after knowing everything and you're yeah. like, you can come to me. Okay, have her. Go to jail with her. Like yeah. you guys are great. What are your thoughts on this case? Please let me know and please be safe. I will see you guys on Wednesday for the main episode.